Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is Iowa Farm Bureau President Brent Johnson. Welcome to the show, Brent. Uh, Thanks for having me, David. So Brent was elected president of Iowa Farm Bureau in 2021. He's been an outstanding advocate for Iowa agriculture and has been recognized with a number of accolades, including the 2020 Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship Leader Award. Brent farms in Calhoun County, Iowa, with his wife, Luann, his son, Matt, and his daughter-in-law, Rebecca. He and Luann also have a daughter, Kaylee, and four grandchildren. We look forward to learning more about Brent, his background in ag, his work as president and advocate for the Iowa Farm Bureau. So let's get started. So Brent, first off, why don't you just tell us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in Calhoun County, and... I'm a fifth-generation family farmer, so, and actually, my wife, Luann, and I, we've raised our family in the house that my great-great-grandfather built. So, uh, we just re- did some more remodeling, and as an old house does, and saw all those reiterations of, <laughs> of when it was remodeled the second, third, fourth, and fifth time. But So, it, it's really important for me to be a part of that and uh, to know that, that my family's been around and involved in this industry and, and our land for so, so long. And to pick up now and be an active, everyday farmer full-time and, and watch my son grow into his role as the sixth-generation farmer, it's been really special and, and fun to watch. And yeah, so Calhoun County for, uh, you know, the uninitiated is just uh, what we would probably consider kind of northwest quadrant of Iowa. So here from where we are today, you're probably, uh, what, an hour? Uh, just about two hours, two hours northwest Two hours of northwest of Des Moines. Yep. So uh, really nice part of the country. So you've had this great legacy and background in, in agriculture. Have you always known that you wanted to be involved in production agriculture? Oh, absolutely. You know, my, my earliest memories are clearly wanting to, to be a farmer. You know, I was, I was one of those farm kids that I was driving bigger things earlier than I should have been driving. And, and you know, dad would set me out in the field and tell me to go to work for hours on end while he went off and did, <laughs> did his other jobs. And I just, I knew it from the, from the, my earliest memory. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always a given that I was going to be able to do it either. So, so I went to Iowa State University and ended up graduating there with a degree in agronomy. I worked in soybean and corn breeding for a while, worked in precision agriculture and, and agronomy services. And then I had a family member retire, and, and that really opened the window for me to go back home and, and do what I firmly believe I was put on this earth to do, is to be a full-time farmer. Awesome. So one of the things we talked about in the intro is you've taken on the helm for the Iowa Farm Bureau. And, you know, as we talked about kind of before, you know, it's always fascinating to me. So many farmers are so giving of their time. 
to the industry they love, and, the, and, and there's great organizations doing all kinds of work. I guess my question to you is, what got you started in Farm Bureau, and what led you to the path you were on where uh, taking that leadership role in uh, Iowa Farm Bureau? That's a, that's a fantastic question, and really it goes back to that time when I was able to go home and start farming full-time. And, you know, I'd been, I'd been off the farm maybe almost 10 years by that time, if you include college and working in the professional field. And so by the time I was able to get back home, I was really looking for something to get involved with to, to make a difference locally in the community and, and just be one of those community members that people rely on. And, and while I was searching for what that spot might be, actually a friend of my dad's was on the Calhoun County Farm Bureau Board at the time. And he says, why don't you, why don't you come to a county meeting and see what this is all about? So I went to one meeting and, and I really thought, you know, that, that, was, that was a pretty good experience. Um, I should learn more. So I went to the second meeting the next month. And at that meeting, county voted me in as treasurer of the County Farm Bureau. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, and off we go. So then, you know, I got, really got involved in the Young Farmer Program pretty early, some of the leadership programs that Farm Bureau offers. And so, so really, I give a lot of credit to that organization. You know, I, I do consider myself a, a farm boy from Northwest Iowa, and it's, it's really the leadership, the, the cultivation of, of those skill sets that the Iowa Farm Bureau has done for me that has allowed me to, to flourish, I guess, if you will, and, and, and really reach outside of my comfort zone and, uh, you know, care about the world beyond my fence rows. So as you get started down that pathway, it just sort of, it's just sort of snowballed on me and it wasn't, it wasn't that long. It didn't seem like, and I made it a goal to, to serve on the state board and, and, uh, and here I am found, uh, found most recently as, as president of the Iowa Farm Bureau. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious if, how you think that that helped shape you as, as a farmer, things you learn, things you, you know, I don't, I don't know what, yeah. what did it teach you? Oh, it's the people skills um, right off the bat. You know, a lot of the soft skills that are that are a part of it. I mean, I truly one of those guys that I could be happy working at home with my head down every single day of the of, of my life, and ignoring what's all the noise that's going on off off the farm. But to get involved, to know that there is a bigger world there, and it does impact all of us in production agriculture. Really, it was those experiences that I found myself almost having, I have to be involved in, in something outside of my own farm operation. And, and so that, that was, I think, critical to, to where I ended up today. And, you know, if I just, if I be selfish for just a moment and think about some of the experiences that I've had, I mean, I, I've built a business dealing with precision agriculture and digital data and, and uh, drones and, and machine automation and those soft skills that Farm Bureau cultivated in me really helped me communicate what my goals were in business, what my goals are on the farm, and paint that vision for those folks as to why they should trust me and why they should come along with, with where I think we're going in, in the future of agriculture. So kind of related to that, I mean, you said you've got another generation coming up and, Mm -hmm. you know, for us in the seed business, of course, we're dealing with agriculture in much the same way, the the generational stratification, right? You've got a lot of different generations now that we're dealing with. 
how do you talk to growers who, because uh, I would assume it's probably very easy to say, you know, I got a lot, I got a lot to do here at home. <laughs> you know, I, I don't got time right. to go out and, and go to meetings. Uh, you know, what do you advise young, young farmers who may think, hey, I've, I've got my hands full here. I don't have time to get on a board and do this stuff. Well, you know, every, everybody's life expectations are different, but I'm certainly, there's absolutely no way that, that if you would have asked me 20 years ago what my future held for me, that I would have been uh, serving the role that I'm serving today and had all the experiences that I've been able to have. So, you know, just that willingness, that openness to say yes to some of those opportunities and, and to, you know, when those positions open in front of you, have the courage and the strength to at least explore what's behind that door. I think it's really important. It, you'll find yourself in a much better place as a farmer, as a family member, if you're more involved, more connected with more people, not only across the state of Iowa, but across the country and, and other countries as well, across the entire world. Perspective is, is absolutely huge. And, and that really helps me. It's hard to be tangible about it, but it really helps me be a better farmer. I, I truly believe that when it comes to the day in, day out of what it means to get the work done at home. With all those other experiences in, in history, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to understand, but it does feel different at home now. So that broader perspective kind of colors your, your thought process as you're thinking about what you do at home on your own yep, farm. no doubt about it. Yeah. So you've had an opportunity to work in, in a lot of different arenas and, and see where we've been in production agriculture and mm -hmm. probably get some vision of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Over the next few years, five to 10 years, what do you think are the big issues that row crop agriculture is going to be facing? Well, you know, if, if you look at some of the buzzwords today, sustainability and, and some of these ESG conversations, and, you know, I don't, I don't know where we're going to go with all this stuff, but, uh, you know, how does, how does agriculture play a role? And, and one thing that, that I've talked a lot about is really agriculture, farmers, we're the good guys in this conversation, and we're the ones that for generations have been doing work the right way, continuing to make progress, and, and promoting agriculture and taking care of the environment and, and handing it off to the next generation. It, it's so ingrained into so many, so many farmers that most of them don't even think about what they're doing. It's, it's hardwired. And so to, to now navigate a space where what we've done for generations instinctively is now becoming a buzzword in boardrooms and, and decision halls um, across the country. How are we going to interact with that? How are we going to play into it? How are we going to communicate our story into those? I think it, it's going to be very critical as to set up the, the next and second generations out from now. And to be able to do that Yes, with data and information. I mean, that's kind of my background is, is very analytical, and, but, but also to do it in, in storytelling and, and uh, you know, things like this podcast right now. The ability to communicate the story of agriculture to people who do and don't understand what the future looks like, I think is very, very important. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, communication being critical for farmers to tell the story that, you know, is their story, right? And and like you said, things like sustainability, which are very popular today, have been going on in various forms for a long, long time. Yep. You know, where best practices are best practices. And uh, and so that's, that's the goal. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the experiences you've had with Farm Bureau as it relates to international trade. You know, our, our yeah. primary focus on this podcast is seed, but we mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that seed 
has a home somewhere, and it, it's either going to end up as grain and it, or it's going to end up in pigs and chickens and go overseas. And so you've done a lot of work on international trade through your time with Iowa Farm Bureau, and recently yep. you took a trip overseas to Vietnam and Philippines. Wondered if you'd spend a little time and talk to us about some of that, what, what your learnings were. We'll be glad to. I mean, I have truly feel like I've been blessed and I've traveled the world, been in many, many different countries. And, and this to go to Vietnam and the Philippines not very long ago, that was, that was a new one for me to visit those two countries specifically. And it's, it's mostly, most of that experience really had to do with the idea of emerging markets and the mass of their populations entering the middle class. That's something that's uh, unique to those two countries, I think. And you think about the potential of uh, future protein needs. And the way those two countries individually are approaching this is very different because their governments are different. And so you've got an interesting government play there, but both are regionally very close to each other. And they're both in that place where the countries, like I said, are emerging, but that has to do with some of their age the, the, I mean, the average age of the United States, I think, is 38, which, which actually sounds a little young, but, mm. but the average age is 38 in the United States. And in Vietnam, it's 32. And actually, in the Philippines, it's 24. <laughs> wow. So, so when you think about you know, those working class years coming ahead... There's a lot of potential there in those two countries. So the trip, most recent trip that you were on was mm-hmm. through the state of Iowa? Yeah. It, yep. The Iowa Economic Development. Okay. Yep. And w- with the goal of kind of exploring these new markets, mm-hmm. uh, these emerging markets, yep. and trying to figure out if there's a place for U.S. crops, U.S. You know, yep. uh, protein. Yeah. What did, you, what did you find out that you didn't expect to find out? So... Both countries that we were in, they were talking about the quality of products that the United States has. I think we all agree that we can probably we can grow the most consistent, high quality crops, whether it's corn or soybeans, that any other country has the ability to do. The thing that really caught me off guard, though, is that in both of those countries, the United States is the only country trading with those countries right now that doesn't have a free trade agreement. So we are tariffed going into those countries where the others are not. So we are at a price disadvantage. So even though even though we've got the best quality, the most consistency, price is still price. And when you're talking about emerging markets, those economies are growing. They are becoming modernized, but price is still price. So working through the channels of government trying to reduce tariffs can potentially lead to increased trade in markets like this. Yeah, I mean that's that's going to be I I can't say the word easy, but that's going to be the that's going to be the quickest uh, remedy is to make sure that the United States is on a level playing field with the other countries. And then we can talk, you know, apples to apples when it comes to quality and protein levels or amino acid levels and consistency and supply and logistics and and all those things that we know that the United States is is superior. You know, in, in the notes I was reviewing from comments you've had about your trip, it t- one of the other things that struck me was talking about, you, you mentioned quality, right? Mm-hmm. And so as it relates to pork, I think there was a story about quality being relative. And yep. that's something I hadn't really thought about. And yep. I guess I wondered if you expand on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was, you know, so we traveled there with IDALS. So Secretary Nag was with us and IEDA was with us. But we were also with Iowa Corn, Iowa Soybeans. 
the cattlemen and uh, the pork producers and, and farm bureau. Yeah. And so, so we, we weren't just looking at grains. We were also looking at the meat proteins as well. And so one of the trips that we had, um, we'd stopped in a, a modern grocery store something that we would all consider as just normal, but by their standards, it's, it's something unique and different. Mm. And to see the meat cuts in the, in the case, like we're all used to seeing. Um, one thing that really jumped out when it comes to their pork was there was a lot of back fat left on the cuts of pork. And so we asked about that and, and they said, well, that's the taste. That's their preference of quality in the meat case. They want to see that layer of fat. And so by the United States consumer standards, all that gets trimmed off. And so they, they want to see a lean cut of meat in the grocery stores in the United States. So it's part of our manufacturing process of those meat cuts that those fats, those layers get trimmed off and, and get used in other places in the process. Over there, they want to see that as a, as a level of quality. So the protein, the, the marbling, yes, it was a part of that conversation. But something as simple as a layer of back fat really is a barrier. And pork in those two countries is their number one meat source. So number one, they eat rice. Number two, they eat pork with their rice. Hmm. And so to know that we have some possible manufacturing tweaks or, or how, can we, how can we market, how can we inform, how can we change that system to satisfy those emerging markets? Yeah, because then I assume if you would just deliver cuts of pork, according to how we would normally package those here in the States, they would view that as an inferior yeah. cut of meat because yeah. they say, well, this isn't what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all, we all have our biases as to what visually we find appealing yeah. to what we think is going to taste good. Theirs is different than ours. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Well, like we talked earlier in, the, in, in this episode, you know, I, I think oftentimes it's easy for so many people to say, well, I don't necessarily have time to get involved or, or time to even dig into this issue. And international marketing is probably something that's uh, so nebulous sometimes that people don't even want to don't even want to fathom or get involved yeah. in it. You know, when you talk to other farmers, how do you reinforce them the importance of understanding what's going on in international marketing? Well, whether it's international marketing or anything else that's hard to deal with, hard to understand, hard to, to be tangible about, it's really important to be involved in, in that process. You know, that, that ability to promote Iowa agriculture, that ability to ensure that our food sources have a destination. The United States, Iowa specifically, we way overproduce what we're able to consume. And so we are dependent on trade. And so we have to have a source. We have to have a place for our products to go. That's, that's what our economy is built on. There's not many places in the world that have those experiences. So that ability to be able to communicate what we do, how we do what we do, and why we do what we do, I think, I think is very important. And, and so those producers, those farmers, the young people growing up, you know, there's, there's so many distractions. There's a lot of things that you could get involved with in your commodity groups, in your community, you know, your churches, however you want to spend your time. And ultimately it comes down to what's important to you, you'll find the time, you'll make the time. And if it's not, there's there's lots of excuses out there. Sure. Yep. So before we leave the topic of Farm Bureau, I guess I'd ask you for any of our listeners who are listening, what would you want them to take away from this conversation, understanding about Farm Bureau and what they do? Well, you know, 
I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't have the operation that I've got. I wouldn't be as successful as I am without this organization. And I, and I believe that to my core. And, you know, the, the Iowa Farm Bureau, when it comes to legislative priorities, when it comes to our process and finding those priorities, I mean, we, we want all of our members involved in that because, you know, the grassroots mantra sometimes gets blown over. But I've seen it work time and time and time again that somebody out there on a farm, on a county board has an idea. They run that through our policy process and it shows up as an initiative that the Iowa Farm Bureau and our and our 155,000 members in our state can get behind and make an influence not only in Des Moines, but also Washington, D.C. And, and across the seas as we've been talking about. So switching gears, let's talk about the season that is to come. You know, we did a little bit of recon work, and I found out that you you are a Stein customer. So tell us what your plans are for for this coming year. Yeah, well, good recon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, as we sit here today, it's mid-April. I actually just took delivery of my Stein seed just yesterday. And so they're all sitting in the machine shed ready to go. So when this weather system that we're currently experiencing blows out of here, we're going to get that soybean planter cranked up and and stick those little buggers in the ground and see what happens. There's talk all over the industry these days about, you know, do you plant corn first? Do you plant beans first? Any opinion on that? So my experience is is somewhat unique in, in some of the roles that I have to play. So we've chosen to run two planters, which for a farm our size is is somewhat unique, but that does give us the ability to keep one as corn and we'll push beans with the other one. And so, yes, I've got a couple hundred acres of corn in right now, but uh, as soon as this weather blows out of here, we'll be running both planters at the same time. So, you know, from, from my agronomy training, you know, growing degree days matter in a soybean plant. And so to to get that in the ground timely and, and all those things that we need to make sure that we're giving that plant the opportunity to produce as much as possible to, to get enough growing days onto that plant is ultimately what produces pods at the end of the season and, and fills them out properly. So we're going to get them out there early and, and make sure they're treated properly and, and set hopefully a whole bunch of four bean pods out there. <laughs> so to my question, you're splitting the difference and planting both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a much simpler answer than the one I gave you. <laughs> nope, that sounds like a good practice. What are the things you have your eye on, and maybe that's a year, two years, three years down the road. What's next for your operation? So we've we've got some family dynamics that are happening right now. So you know, it's nothing really any different than any other family. But you know, between retirements and and whatnot, trying to make sure that our operation is um, secure and, and stable for the next generation is is always uh, top of mind. You know, we are we do have a fairly advanced operation when it comes to technology. Again, that's that's part of my background. So when it comes to machine automation and data collection and making informed decisions and tying those to economic outcomes and possibilities, I think we I think we got some room to make some improvements there as as good as we are today. But ultimately, you know, we're we're out there farming for dollars, and bushels are a part of that equation. Yeah, and so you mentioned data collection and some of the technologies that you're exploring. Can you elaborate a little bit on what are some of those things that you're looking at that, you know, maybe haven't been applied in the past or at least not as not to the extent that you're thinking about? You know, when it comes to it's the easy ones to explain, the hard ones to implement have a lot to do with the nutrient 
conversation when it comes to the input side of the equation. So, you know, some of the work that I've done in the past, say on corn and side dressing corn, how much nitrogen do you use and how far can you get your nitrogen use efficiency number? And so, you know, most uh, historically, a lot of the state of Iowa is running, a, you know, about a pound a bushel or something like that. And so, you know, we're starting to push six tenths to seven tenths pounds per bushel produced right now. And a lot of that comes with, with practices and equipment, but it also comes in data. So what parts of those fields are producing well? Are they producing enough? Do we need to push them harder? And what parts of those fields do we need to pull back? And how do you measure that in season? How do you make those adjustments timely? So, you know, we've, we've used a lot of uh, drone imagery and, and uh, splitting the light waves, if you will, to make this somewhat simple so that we can take the temperature of that crop, understand what it's telling us, and, you know, match that up with population, match it up with soil types that are underneath it, and understand that okay, we, we need to push just a little bit harder with nitrogen here or we can we need to pull back a little bit. So to, to be able to make those in-season timely tweaks to those practices, I think are really going to be fruitful as we learn how to do that better in the next five years. And so just you mentioned nitrogen, you know, as a management tool. So mm-hmm. in terms of corn, talking about split application, right. timely application, and in this case, how much? You know, right. putting on how much and when so that you're making the most use of, of the nitrogen you apply. Yep. And I think we'd be right on board with that. I think that's one of the big the big battlegrounds to come is to figure out how to grow it most profitably and make sure that you've got enough there to feed that crop to maximum yield potential. Absolutely. You know, this this conversation about sustainability, environmental care, I mean, that that's not exclusive of making money. In fact, if you do it properly, they go hand in hand. If you are efficient with your inputs and you understand the quality of your outputs and that potential, you can manage that crop better. And we continue, we've proven it year over year, generation over generation, taking better care of the environment. It's We're going to continue to do better on both fronts as we move forward. Well, Brent, thanks so much for joining us today, talking about your farm operation your time in industry leadership and the initiatives of the Iowa Farm Bureau. I really appreciate you coming today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, David. Well, that's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.